0: You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Thanks for joining us on this online-only Sunday. And for those of you who regularly join with us in person, next week's going to be fantastic. But I believe that God's going to touch you and speak to you right where you are. So let's go ahead and start our new sermon series, Dinner with a Friend. Now, I jokingly told one of the staff members responsible for our sermon series promotion that it had a typo. The R and friend had been dropped and we were promoting dinner with a fiend. She was a little bit concerned at first, but Jesus last supper with his disciples was actually both dinner with a friend and dinner with a fiend. Who is the fiend? Well, it was Judas who had already made arrangements to betray Jesus. Who were the friends? Well, that's what we're going to find out. We know it was the other disciples, but what made the difference between fiend and friend of course the title of this series dinner with a friend is about jesus being our friend he's a friend who invites us to dinner with him jesus is the friend we want to have dinner with no doubt but there are two sides to this friendship you've heard the saying to have a friend you have to be a friend to have jesus as a friend You have to be a friend to Jesus. Friendship with Jesus is wonderful. And we're invited into that friendship purely on grace. We can never earn it. But we do have to live up to it. Friendship with Jesus calls for us to be a friend to Jesus. And Jesus says this very directly in John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Friendship with Jesus means obedience to Jesus. This is in the context of Jesus' statement, I'm the vine, you're the branches, John 15, and the context is about bearing fruit for Jesus. And I preached the passage as part of our Invite Your Neighbor series, Bearing Fruit. And I didn't get to spend any time on these verses right in the middle of the passage, so let's take a look at them. John 15, beginning with verse 9. Jesus is speaking to His disciples at the Last Supper greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends you are my friends if you do what i command i no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business instead i have called you friends for everything that i learned from my father i have made known to you you did not choose me But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Now, why does Jesus put this condition on being his friend? You are my friends if you do what I command. Well, Let's think about who we're being invited into friendship with. We're being invited to friendship with Emmanuel, God with us. It's Jesus. We're invited to be friends of God. And I think we've become so accustomed to the idea of friendship with God, it no longer has any shock value to us. We have such a low view of the omnipotence of God, the judgment or justice of God, same word the holiness of God, the glory of God, we almost feel that God owes us His kindness, His friendship. No, I'm not saying we need to fear God in the sense of fearing His punishment. No. John tells us that perfect love drives out that kind of fear. But we should have a greater sense of the fear of the Lord in terms of being awe, especially about being in awe that God has invited us into Friendship. I once hired a friend, Dan Cross, many of you might remember him, who became our executive pastor right after moving into our building. And in the case of me and Dan, we had been friends for many years. Dan was one of my groomsmen in mine and Lisa's wedding, so we went way back. So how did being a friend impact his work for us and his work with me as his boss? Well, during the two years he worked for us, I don't remember a single time that he disrespected my role as his boss. I didn't demand that from him, but he just gave me that respect. And He was especially careful to respect my position when we were with other people. He always kind of built me up. And neither did he ever try to get away with doing less than expected because he uh, could probably get a free pass from his friend. He probably could have, but he didn't try that. And it would have been hard on our friendship If he did not recognize me as boss, I I didn't have to demand it, but it would have been hard. It would have been hard on our friendship if he had used it as an excuse to shirk responsibility. Do you think we could ever do anything to put a strain on our friendship with God? Hmm. Maybe. Back to your situation. Maybe you're in a situation where you can be friends with your boss, earthly speaking. I think it's great that some workplaces can have that dynamic. But you would be wrong if you allowed your friendship with the boss to become an excuse to disrespect your boss, especially in front of other employees who might not have the kind of friendship you do. You would want them to recognize him as boss and you wouldn't want to tear him down and, or her down in their eyes. And you would be wrong if you allowed your friendship with your boss to become an excuse to refuse to do your best for your company. That'd be like allowing friendship with a boss to become an excuse to steal from the company. Wouldn't work, would it? So back to our relationship with God. He's a friend but He's still the boss. The basic declaration of the early church was simply this, three words, Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord in the sense that He's the Lord God Almighty. He is God Himself. That's His nature. But it's also Jesus' role. He is Lord. Jesus is King and He is Lord in the sense that He rules over all. He rules over our lives if we are followers of Jesus. He is King of all kings. He is Lord of all lords. He is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. But He's also worthy that we give Him our obedience. So in this passage there are two primary conditions to being Jesus' friend. And yes, it's an invitation by grace, and it's an invitation to every single one of us, but the invitation does have conditions. And he's God. He can put conditions on this. So condition number one is doing what God says. And that's especially with his commandment to love. And there are three verses here in which Jesus speaks of obeying his commands. Verse 10, take a look at that. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. He's a great example. Verse 14, another condition, you are my friends if you do what I command. And then verse 17, this is my command, love each other. As you can probably see from at least two of these verses, love is absolutely the key to doing what Jesus commands. Elsewhere, Jesus says that all the law and the prophets hang on the two greatest commandments. Number one, love God with all that we are. And the second is love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I remember when I made this discovery in my first year as a follower of Jesus while I was in college. At that time, and I hope I'm still doing this, but I was just really devouring the Bible. I just couldn't get enough of the Word of God, and I made a shocking discovery that this was all about Love. Nobody told that to me. I just saw it in the Word of God that everything about Christianity hinges on love. And it was such a revelation. I was super excited about it. And I had a mentor and I went to share that with my mentor. And I remember going up to him, Twig, I exclaimed, this is all about love. The Christian life is all about love. And I thought, surely Twig is going to share my excitement and affirm me and, you know give me some wisdom, But he just looked at me with kind of funny, almost a sneer, and with no enthusiasm at all, he said, "Yeah, but it's easier to talk about than to do." "Hmm, <laughs> Didn't encourage me very much, but I have to admit, it's not an easy command to fulfill. It's not. And I think the result of that is that we have some crazy misunderstandings that are prevalent today in terms of what it means to obey this law of love. See, we, we misunderstand the command to love as somehow requiring that we as believers approve of immoral behavior. Let me ask you this. How can it be loving to approve of behavior that either God detests or that harms people, like innocent babies in the womb. How can we just approve that and think that that's love? Or how can we approve behavior that further alienates people from God? That's not loving. And The Bible describes all kinds of behavior that alienated people from God. Behavior that God detests or behavior that God just prohibits. Think about it this way. Is it loving to let a person drown because they chose to jump into the deep end? They don't know how to swim, but you want to honor their decision to jump into the deep end? No. That's not love to let them drown as a consequence of their choice. God has expectations on His followers. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have spoken about keeping His commands plural. His primary command is Love, but he has commands. But no, I'm not saying that Jesus is emphasizing a lot of rules here. That was the problem of the Pharisees, and it's been the problem of religious people, which is why sometimes we think that, you know, love means no rules whatsoever, because sometimes the church gets hung up on just the rules and just the externals. But Jesus is emphasizing. One primary command that covers and includes all other commands. It doesn't mean there are no other commands, but it covers every other command and is the motivation for every other command, and that is the law of love. Love God. Remain in God's love, he says here in John 15. Remain in it just as he remained in his Father's love and love each other. Love each other. And in this context, when he says love each other, what's he talking about? Who's he emphasizing? I know anybody can be our neighbor. The parable of the Good Samaritan tells us that, but in this context, Jesus is emphasizing that we're to love our fellow disciples, other followers of Jesus. He's speaking about loving one another in the family of God. Our love starts with a household of faith. Our love isn't limited to the family of God, but it starts in the family of God. Another aspect of love that Jesus is emphasizing here in this passage. Love requires sacrifice. Love is self-sacrificial, self-sacrificing. And Jesus talks about how He remained in the Father's love by doing what? By doing His Father's will. And in this passage, verse 13, He makes that famous statement, "...greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends." See, he showed us the way to love. He showed us the way in terms of submitting to His Father's will and laying down His life for us. In other words, dinner with a friend was costly. It was costly for Jesus. <laughs> when I think about dinner with a friend being costly, I can't help. My mind just goes back to a member of the a, a youth group who complained that a girl he took out for their very first date ordered Lobster. It cost him a lot of money. He was a little bit upset. I think it was his only date with that particular girl. I think Lisa and I went to Mazio's Pizza in Tulsa. And I'm not even sure if in her mind it was a real date. But, you know, that didn't cost me a lot. But she's cost me a lot. A lot more since that first date. And it's been worth it. And that's the nature of love it is worth it, but it is sacrificial. We obey Jesus' commands by living out love. That's not about imposing our thoughts on other people. That's about living out love and setting our lives aside and laying our lives down for one another and to reach a lost and broken and hurting world. So the number one condition here, the number one condition of being God's friend is to do what Jesus commands. And it's going to cost. But there's another condition. Number two. Jesus says we are friends because God tells us what he's up to. He tells us what he's up to. In verse 15, he says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And I know that doesn't just apply to the apostles, it applies to us who are reading this word today. See, God wants you to know his business. That's part of friendship with God. He wants you to know his business. That's what distinguishes you from just being a servant, even though we are servants of God, and makes you a friend. This is really key to acting like, to being a friend of God, to know God's business. And you can know this business. You can know this. This self-revelation by God where He reveals what He wants you to know, is a key to our being His friend. It's by revelation from God. And it was that way with Moses in Exodus 33. It tells us this, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. He wanted God's presence too. Now, this experience that Moses had might seem unattainable, but it's not. It's not. God's self-revelation and the revelation of God's will, the face of Christ Jesus, seeing that, beholding that, is a key part of being a friend of Jesus. And you can read in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We all have that capacity as followers of Jesus. Now, through Jesus, we can all be his friends. In 1990, a little while back, Henry Blackaby, a Baptist pastor, who often got accused of being charismatic, but he wasn't, but he had a good teaching. He wrote a book called Experiencing God, and the subtitle was Knowing and Doing the Will of God. And it took the church world by storm and sold over 7 million books and books with good reason. And the primary thought of this book, Experiencing God, as I remember it, is not to focus on getting God to tell you what He wants you to do. Hmm, didn't I just say you can know God's will? Yeah, but the focus is not on getting God to tell you what He wants you to do. That's not what Jesus talked about in John 15. The real key to experiencing God, to knowing and doing the will of God for your life, is just to find out what God is up to. As Jesus put it, He lets you know His business. So what's God's business? Don't just ask, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Say, God, what are you up to? God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing in the world? What are you doing around me? What are you doing in my church? What are you doing in my workplace? What are you doing in my family? God, where are you at work? Look around, and God will show you what He's up to. And my... Prediction is this, not a prophetic word, but I believe it will be true. You will find out that what God is doing is probably not about you. That's why the main thing is not, God, what do you call me to do? God, what's your business? Wednesday morning of week before, I I woke up and uh, I immediately had this urgency, this sense of urgency about inviting someone, a young man, to coffee. It might not seem very spiritual, but I had that urge. I just knew I had to do it. And we met that afternoon and had a great talk about his getting back on track with God and getting reconnected to the family of God. It was a really great conversation. And at the end of our talk, he told me this. He said, my mother had a dream about me last night. And so I contacted her afterwards and she said she woke up that same Wednesday morning with something like a panic attack Because she had what she described as a nightmare in which her son, this young man I met with, was being pulled away from the family of God. And my urgency and her concern were not just coincidences. That was just God at work. And it was about somebody else and their relationship with God. I can tell you, it's fantastic to be a friend of God. Being a friend of Jesus, it draws us into experiencing and then living out His love, blessing other people. Dinner with a friend might have a cost, but what we receive back in terms of friendship with God, it makes it all worthwhile. This week this message is online only, but next week we're going to be back in person and if you're ready and able, if you're close by, if you're not in another part of the world, another part of the country, we'd love to have you join us in person at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. right here in Audubon. And we'll continue what I know is going to be a powerful series, Dinner with a Friend. And if you're not able to join us in person, we'll see you right back here online. But in either case, I want to Encourage you to think about this. Think about bringing or watching with a friend. You know, have a spiritual dinner, a spiritual meal with a friend. And I know Jesus will be there as a friend as well. Because here's what I think God might be wanting to work through you to help somebody else to be his friend also. Would you do that? Maybe you've not yet stepped into that relationship with Jesus Christ where you would say, He's. My friend, I I many times heard my father-in-law, who's gone on to be with the Lord, ask people, do you know Jesus? And he would get the response, well, not personally, but you can. You can know Jesus personally. He wants you to be his friend. And the first command is to love God and to trust God. That's part of loving him. To trust that Jesus, when he died his death on the cross, paid the penalty for your sin and my sin so that there's nothing that stands between us and a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And if we put our trust in Him, if we just exercise faith, it's not through what we do. What we do comes after. But through trust in Him and what He's done, we enter into the friendship that lasts forever. Would you pray with me to receive Christ? Pray right, th- right now, right where you are. Say this out loud. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I want to be your friend. I want to belong to your family. I believe Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. And he is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. And be the Lord of my life. I give you control, God. I belong to you. Thank you for receiving me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to a friendship that lasts forever. Stay with us. Somebody's gonna share with you some very important next steps. God bless you. Hope to see you really soon. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.